Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's vi.com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. You're listening to Devious Motives. This is episode number 32. It's a short episode because it's election day and we don't really have anything that we know yet. So I figured I would reach back around over to Rick Gates, who was a strategist and a pollster for the Trump campaign back in in 2016, get his thought on a number of different races. And I thought I'd uh, send this one out to you today. It's a little shorter than usual, but it's chock full of information. You're listening to Devious Motives. I'm Brett Witterbull. This is episode 32. I am happy to welcome back to the program Rick Gates. You know him from his terrific work uh, back with uh, uh, then-president-elect Donald Trump, of course, then-candidate Trump, then-president-elect and president Donald Trump. Uh, He was uh, chairman of the uh, president-elect's inaugural committee and after uh, it was a co-founder of the America First Policy Super PAC for the president. He's got a brand-new book out now, Wicked Game, an insider's story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. And uh, we're happy to bring you onto the show here uh, today, Rick. I'm, I'm wondering, as we look at how all this is unfolding, you, you have a, a great sense for the politics of the moment, but you also have a great sense for the polling as well that's moving out there. What have you seen in the last 24 hours that maybe is a tell from the Biden campaign as far as their concerns and from the Trump team as far as their concerns? What, what, what are you seeing out there that's kind of sticking out? Absolutely. There are two things that occurred over the weekend uh, into uh, yesterday on the Biden side, and that is in Florida. There was kind of an emergency session call because they recognized that they weren't getting the voter turnout, particularly in the Latino uh, demographic in Florida. So that kind of sounded the alarm. Uh, Same thing in Pennsylvania, just different demographics. They're not seeing the voter turnout that they were expecting going into Election Day. And this is important because traditionally, you know, it has been said that Republicans, you know, are more likely to go out on Election Day versus Democrats who are more likely to send in uh, a ballot. And the problem this time around is that so many ballots were sent in. You don't actually know which persuasion, you know, the voter actually voted. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, you know, something that you're going to hear political spin all day. Um, but when you actually look at the facts, the reality is that whether it's mail-in ballots or early in-person voting, we have no idea who those people voted for. Um, and it is really, truly going to come down to voter turnout 
today in a lot of these key battleground states. And that's going to be the thing to, to most watch is the intensity of Republican and Democratic voters. Who's coming out more on Election Day? That will drive the election result. To use a football analogy, do you expect this to be, uh, you know, th- three yards in a cloud of dust? Or do you expect this to be, a, you know, a high scoring affair uh, for either side? What, what do we expect tonight? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think, you know, it might be nice to have that because at least everybody would know. But, you know, look, I mean, you know, for the last four years, this country has been largely divided, uh, you know, along political lines. And really what it's going to come down to is those, you know, voters actually getting out. I mean, there are 200 and a little over 210 million registered voters. Um, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, up until I think it was 2008, we had 62 percent in that election. But everything else has been south of 62 percent. So now we're at another you know, interesting, you know, uh, uh, moment here where we're expecting, you know, probably upwards of 68 percent turnout. No pollster can model for that. I mean, and you don't really know at the end of the day who is coming, you know, out to vote. So there are going to be a lot of things, you know, to watch, you know, for today, uh, particularly in, in key battleground states. I mean, for me, there are two states that are very, you know, important, uh, among others, obviously, but North Carolina and Arizona. Um, I mean, put the, you know, what we call the, 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 the big trinity aside, Florida, mm-hmm. Ohio, and, and uh, um, uh, and uh, Pennsylvania. Right. But North Carolina is absolutely central to this whole idea of everything that you put into a campaign, early voting, you know, mail-in ballots, getting people out, getting people motivated. Um, it is going to be a great test to see who wins that state. As an example, in 2016, Donald Trump was able to win that state because we got a jump on the early voting and early in-person voting. And that was a- actually able to close that gap with Democrats to a point that we were, the Republicans were able to win. And that was a, a big deal because Republicans haven't been as sophisticated in the past as Democrats have with, you know, that early vote turnout. And you're seeing that again, this time around, the Republicans have done a great job. So I'm hopeful that those numbers hold. And then that the intensity uh, of Donald Trump's voters get more of them out, you know, today than the Democrats. You worried about these weird extended deadlines. You know, we, we talked about it a little bit last time we talked with the Supreme Court saying you have an extra six days to get your ballots in in North Carolina. I mean, you literally could walk from Asheville to, 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 to the Outer Banks in six days. I mean, I don't know what the holdup on a, on a ballot would be getting mailed in like that. But you've got an extra six days here. You've got uh, extra days, obviously, in Philly uh, and in Pennsylvania. What about your level of concern with that, Rick? Yeah, very concerned. I mean, this is where... Unfortunately, you know, nothing uh, that the courts uh, ever do is really good, particularly, uh, you know, with respect to elections. And I think, to your point, I mean, North Carolina, you know, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, all these states have extended deadlines. And that is where, unfortunately, with the mail-in ballots in particular, that's where the shenanigans can begin. Because, you know, somebody might pick up a box and stick it in their trunk. Somebody might, you know, kick a box down a ravine. These are the physical aspects of election. These are not your electronic voting or, you know, something that's inside a polling station. So I'm really concerned, you know, as, as others are that, you know, some of these can be manipulated. And that's what we really have to watch out for, because you got to recall, you know, across the board, whether it was, you know, President Bush, President Obama or President Trump, some of these states were won by very thin margins. I mean, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, in 2016 uh, was uh, Michigan was uh, 22,000 votes. and Wisconsin was 10,000 votes. So. These these, you know, mail in ballots could prove to be a a very big concern as we start looking at counting these 
uh, particularly like Pennsylvania. They announced that they're not even going to start counting the mail-in ballots until right. tomorrow in seven of the counties. If Florida goes for Trump early, how much of a hurdle is that for Biden? Well, I think it's a big hurdle. I was you know, playing with the electoral map this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I mean, President Trump could lose Pennsylvania and win Florida and Ohio and still, you know, have multiple paths to victory. For Joe Biden, it gets a lot more difficult if he loses Florida. And uh, it's just the way the math works in the number of states and electoral votes. Um, but, you know, Do- uh, Donald Trump's going to have a many more paths uh, to victory if he wins Florida. Joe Biden has very few if he loses it. So let me ask you about two states that, that are of interest that are not talked about. Well, one of them's talked about a lot, but, but one of them isn't. New Hampshire, which is a, a funky uh, configuration. You've got a bunch of people who have fled Massachusetts's high taxes, but you've got a lot of liberals that have moved across the border, too, for the lower cost of living. But you have a situation there where you have a popular Republican governor in Sununu. You have Gene Shaheen, who I think was a governor once upon a time and is now a, uh, a senator, yeah. um, who's up. Uh, the, the the money is that they'll both get reelected. How does that shake out on a on a Trump model? And and then the question for you is um, Minnesota because it does feel like the president's invested a lot of energy in Minnesota. So give me New Hampshire and Minnesota from from your take. Yeah, absolutely. New Hampshire, we uh, really thought we had a, a strong chance at it in 2016, and and you know we just fell short. Um, I think there are opportunities there, uh, but you know of the two. Uh, I would definitely, you know, have to say I, I'd go look at, you know, uh, Minnesota. We were down a point and a half uh, in Minnesota in, in 2016, um, but the vote count was very low. And given the president's enthusiasm and the number of people who have come out, particularly to his rallies up there, uh, I think he has a really good shot at uh, at winning Minnesota. The dynamic in, in New Hampshire, even with the, you know, between uh, Governor Sununu and, and Senator Shaheen, um, it, it, it's largely going to fall along party lines. And it's one of those states. Um, where you, you just you you have to literally get every Republican out to vote and then some to kind of counter that uh, liberal persuasion up there. So it's going to be really hard. I, I you know I I, uh, I don't have it in my map. Um, you know mm-hmm. New Hampshire uh, going to Trump, but uh, Minnesota I do think he can take. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you two more. Uh, real real quick here, Arizona. And Georgia, Georgia's got a couple of funky elections happening with a primary and a you know runoff and, and that sort of stuff. Arizona's got Mark Kelly taking on McSally. And I think a lot of conservatives are worried that, well, if Mark Kelly's going to win that Senate seat, that could mean bad things for Trump uh, in, in the electoral. What about Arizona and Georgia? Yeah, absolutely. Georgia is a great example. I, I, I call that a head fake. Um, you know, we sort of fell for it in 2016 where everybody kept, you know, throwing out that Georgia was a battleground state. And we ended up winning it by five or six points in 2016. I think that's the same thing in this case. I don't think it is a toss-up. I don't think it's a battleground. I think Donald Trump is going to win that uh, with uh, the same or greater um, you know, margin this time around. Uh, but it's a great tactic you know, for Democrats to use because when you're in the last few weeks of these campaigns, this is what's important, is you're expending resources. You're taking the candidates' time to go places that you could obviously put elsewhere in terms of trying to win, you know, other states or protect other states. So, you know, Georgia, I think it, it was a great idea for the Democrats to throw that around because we did in 2016 spend time, energy and resources and took the candidates time down there. And those opportunities, you know, have happened not as frequently, you know, this time around. So I think they, they're attuned to that but, and understand that, you know, Georgia uh, will go, you know, to Donald Trump. Um, yeah, Arizona, you know, fascinating. Um, this is one where I think somebody said no Republican has lost in 
I think two or three decades. And, <laughs> and to your point, it's, it's a changing state. Uh, you know, I kind of liken it to Virginia on the East coast where right. we used to be kind of considered red, went purple. And now I think we're blue. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the voting demographic there is, uh, are very interesting. And, and you have a number of scenarios um, that, uh, that Donald Trump could absolutely lose. There's no question about it. Elections are unpredictable. But just based on the voting patterns there, it's, it's, it's not likely that he will. But that's why I put it in one of my two, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bellwether states. I think it's going to be one to watch. Look, in, in presidential elections, it's, it's interesting. The coattails typically only work from the president to other offices, not mm-hmm. other offices mm-hmm. to the president. So what my prediction in Arizona is that, yeah, you're probably going to see a strong uh, turnout for Mark Kelly, but you're going to see a strong turnout for Donald Trump. And there will be a lot of people that vote for Mark Kelly for Senate, but for, vote for Donald Trump for president. Interesting. Uh, my, my son is a political junkie at age 15. I mean, he's, he's been playing with 270 to win for, for the better part of six months. He, he's trying to sell me on Nevada, uh, potentially going. It feels to me like Nevada's changed a lot, though, uh, as, as it relates to the, the influx from people in California. Is that, is that a mistake? No, it, it is not a mistake. And I, I, I um, uh, struggled with Nevada, too, because we really thought we had a shot at it in 2016, both Nevada right. and Colorado. And I, I just I think you're right. Nevada is just one of those quirky states. Uh, the mail-in ballots uh, mm-hmm. have gone up uh, considerably this time around. Um, I, I'd love to think that we can pull it out. I mean, that is, you know, Nevada and Minnesota were the two that the Trump campaign thought they could steal that they didn't win in 2016. Right. I think it's going to be close. It was just over a point in uh, 2016. Um, you know, for uh, for Hillary Clinton. So I think there's a reasonable shot. But I think given the mail-in ballots uh, and, and, the, and the influx of Dem- Democrats and liberals out there, I think, you know, we're going to fall short there. Visiting with Rick Gates, um, who's got a brand new book out called Wicked Game, and he's being very patient with my crazy questions about the different electoral scenarios here. I want to go I want to go 50,000 feet here real quick um, and, and look at the picture. Generally speaking, we had a, a, a situation where you had arguably the most diverse field of candidates in that Democratic primary at one point was like 26 or 27 of them. Um, All all the all the all the different possible iterations, people of color, uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, same sex marriage, all those issues were, were, were banging around inside that that mix. Bernie Sanders is there. Warren is there. Bloomberg flirts with it, all that sort of stuff. And at the end of the day, you end up with a very conservative state in North uh, South Carolina uh, and Jim Clyburn giving you Joe Biden. And essentially, he, he's off to the races at, at that point. Is this the last time you're going to see um, somebody like Biden be the nominee for the Democratic Party? Is this a party that is in transition, likely to go more radical, Democrat, socialist, um, uh, say, uh, not, maybe not an Elizabeth Warren model, but somebody more akin to a, uh, uh, to an AOC type of ideology. Is this the end of, of a long run for a democratic party that's looked like this for a long time? Oh, the composition of the democratic party moving forward will no doubt look differently. I mean, there's been a number of discussions that, you know, whatever happens that to a large extent, the democratic party is going to go into civil war because if Biden loses, Obviously, that, that's it for, you know, the, the, the Biden types of the world in that party. And it will go mm-hmm. much more radical. You'll have people step up like, you know, AOC and her squad and others um, who are just, by the way, just waiting, salivating, right. you know, to see what happens because, you know, they want to influence, you know, even Biden um, if he were to win. And, and it's going to be a huge difference, you know, into how the party's constructed uh, moving forward. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the kind of the, the Bidens are, you know, a lost generation in that party. You're going to see a much, much more radical, 
mm-hmm. socialist, you know, aligned party in terms of the policies that they pursue and the types of people that they uh, try to recruit. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, from the Democratic side, whether, you know, the, the party kind of officially splits and whether you start seeing, you know, two different versions, you know, of it, a more moderate, you know, portion uh, versus, you know, the, the very radical liberal portion that you'll see. So let me I'm going to take you to an ugly place then uh, in this regard. If Biden wins this thing, if uh, if Pelosi retains the House, if Biden wins the presidency, I don't know what happens in the Senate, but but is it are you concerned that we're going to see the weaponization of the DOJ in a way we can't even imagine? I mean, it's going to make what happened with Mueller and with uh, the Russia collusion and Brennan and Clapper and all of that look like a day in the park. Do you expect that if Biden wins this thing? that a radicalized DOJ uh, will be coming after uh, President Trump in in some other fashion to try to uh, criminalize his service, to try to uh, prosecute. I know Cyrus Vance in New York is thinking things like this. Uh, Letitia James is thinking things like this in New York State. But what about this possibility that we see criminalization of political differences uh, writ large as federal policy? Oh, no question. Look, I I lived it firsthand, and and, and this is the interesting thing, right? It was not... uh, just, uh, you know, uh, the government, it was uh, under Donald Trump, you know, yep. where the DOJ was weaponized and, and try to take him out, you know. So they're absolutely, and, and this is the interesting thing, whether he wins or loses, they're going to go after him. If he wins, it'll be Congress. And like you said, New York State and others that try to go after him for various, uh, you know, things. If it's, uh, you know, if he loses, then uh, the DOJ here in Washington, well, absolutely, not just him, they'll target dozens of people, you know, uh, uh, whether they're still inside government or not. And, and that's the sad thing is that we've just lost sight of that ability to have a justice system that truly is blind. And this has been the, you know, one of the most you know, motivated, uh, you know, politically motivated departments of justice, you know, I've ever seen. It's really going to be something to see. Uh, in our last 30 seconds, if it does go for uh, President Trump tonight or in the coming days, are you concerned about violence in the streets and the cities? You know, I, I, look, there's always that concern. My hope is, is that as, as Americans, we come together and, and you know, look, everybody tried to fight Donald Trump, you know, when he was elected the first time around. My hope is that they give him a chance because he was he was voted in by the American people. I mean, right. we didn't do this with Democrats, and, and I hope that they would do the same. So I, I hope not to see, you know, any violence. I think that's the path that we should all strive for. Amen. Uh, you know, resistance, the resistance movement wasn't about resisting Donald Trump. It was about resisting the will of the American people. And it's a shame that, that we watched three years just get burned uh, uh, like that. Exactly. Rick Gates, awesome to have you on, man. I appreciate you making time for us. Uh, I, I want to encourage people to get your, uh, your book, Wicked Game. It's so instructive and insightful. And um, I have a feeling we'll be talking again soon, just given the way the news cycle is going I, I hope work. so. Yeah, it's going to be a fun <laughs> few days. Great stuff, Rick. I appreciate you being there, man. All the best. And uh, let's do it again soon, all right? You too. Thanks, Brett. Take care. That's Rick Gates. I'm Brett Witterbull. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. 
Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at justaskvi. That's vi.com.